G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 3 Preview Edition as we uh, go into two Footyology Podcasts a week. Can't get enough footy now, it's actually started again, isn't that great to see? As uh, I say, a very good morning to my co-host Mark Fine. How are you going, Fine? I'm well, yeah. Footyology twice a week, footyology final siren twice a week. It is, um, well, footyology is getting a foothold and it only works with footy. Well, it only works well, this well, yeah. with, it only works this well with footy. Well, actually, you just uh, tweeted me. So, footyology final siren is a Twitter live stream post game Thursday and Friday evenings. You can catch that on my Twitter feed or at Periscope, Rowan underscore Connolly. Uh, and a bit of, uh, well, a bit of, Backslapping, I suppose, finally. We actually made the uh, top shows on the iTunes Sport podcast charts this week. And uh, I've always wondered how you get in those top shows, but I don't know what we did. We got in them. So um, well done, us. And uh, well done to all the people who've been loyally following us since we started. <laughs> Rowan, this. it's well done. And thank you to the people following the podcast. I don't know if it's yeah, well, no. well done, us. Oh, no, I just said that. I just said yeah, that. Yeah, no, uh, you're this, right. This is year four for us in various uh, incarnations. So um, thanks, everyone. Really appreciate your support. And just on that quickly, too, you can support Footyology by getting on our uh, Patreon page. And uh, we're asking for a small subscription. But for that, you get a lot of quality content. And we're really upping the ante on the level of content and the subjects covered in that content as well. And also, uh, this podcast is on Acast, and uh, if you hunt around there, wherever you listen to your podcasts, you will find a new feature. You can become a supporter of Footyology and uh, pledge a donation there and just have a look for the uh, the button on the uh, whatever podcast app you're using. Um, we've got a couple of very loyal sponsors too. have been great to us, Fonny. How about you give them a mention? Burgers are absolutely this time of the year food. Why? Because it's darn freezing at night and in the morning. I know it's been nice and clear during the day. So what better, what better than wrapping your laughing gear around a burger? And Andrew's Hamburgers at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park are the quintessential Australian burger recognised by so many Best Burger Awards. And they've been around for 81 years. So I think they've pretty well got it right. It's the burger. It, it, it's exactly the burger I think of when I think hamburger, by the way. Well, um, this is how much you think about them. I, like, I haven't eaten yet. It's pretty early in the morning as we're recording this. i not a skerrick of food has passed my lips yet for the day, but... All I can think of right now is chowing down on a big, fat, juicy Andrews hamburger for breakfast, for lunch, for tea, for supper, as a pre-bed snack. 
Andrew's hamburgers <laughs> go with every occasion. And uh, I'll tell you what, Fanny, I, I, uh, this is a true story. I was actually awakened this morning by something dripping on my face. Uh, just just a one-off drip, but I was, what the hell is going on there? Couldn't see what it is, but I suspect there's a leak of some sort. And that made me think of one thing. It made me think, I need to get my house renovated. So where should I go? I thought you were going to say, it made me think of one thing. I've got to move my bed. You need, you need to go to West Point Properties, located right throughout the inner southeast suburbs of Melbourne. But uh, let me tell you, give them a call wherever you are, because Nick Spartel's West Point Properties guarantee a quality build. They guarantee the best of renovations. And I could tell you that the architectural designs used by West Point Properties are quite brilliant, especially given those inner city rebuilds are often on limited land, Oh, very smart, very canny use of available land. So West Point Properties, if you're building or renovating in that area. Ah, yes, good plug. They're great sponsors. You're a great audience, as Jeff Fennick would have put it. We love you all. We're going to heap to get through today, a bit of news, some previews, our vinyl and video segment. I'll tell you what, Fanny, let's get straight into it. On Footyology Newsfeed. All right, plenty of news around. Uh, we've got uh, injuries affecting team selections already. We've got uh, big names likely to return. We've got some big names out. Um, in fact, let's touch on that very quickly. First, Dusty Martin, uh, uh, an absentee for Richmond as they take on Hawthorne Thursday evening at the MCG. A bit of a shock find. He's so durable. It's a bit of a surprise to see uh, Dusty not in the Tiger lineup. But that, that came out of nowhere, didn't it? I think rib soreness... And, well, he's durable and one would imagine that he won't be out for very long. But that did come as a bit of a surprise. And also Liam Baker, who's had to go back to WA for personal reasons, but won't be encumbered by travel restrictions getting back for the week after. Yes, and that was uh, on compassionate ground. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, there, there are exceptions made in otherwise strict um circumstances surrounding quarantining and the coronavirus. Look, I think the um, probably the most important story or the one with the most far-reaching ramifications for the rest of the season, certainly for the match review officer and tribunal, is the uh, AFL's very quick move to rewrite the rule on sling tackles after Sean Burgoyne uh, managed to escape that incident with Paddy Dangerfield with just a fine rather than a suspension. Now, whilst there's generally a fair bit of criticism about rules on the run and and changing course midstream or whatever, I don't think many people would argue the toss on this one because basically uh, Sean Burgoyne, and we've said this, we, we all love him and we all admire him, but that's not a good enough reason to escape a suspension. That should have been a suspension and basically he was able to escape with a fine because the provisions on um, spear tackles uh, or what was the other one? Uh, they, they don't actually use the word sling, but basically it's written so that uh, a player has to be uh, held by both arms and uh, have both arms pinned. And that wasn't the case with Dangerfield. He had an arm free and that made it difficult for the MRO to grade it as anything but careless. Um, and that enabled him to get away with the fight. So the AFL stepped in immediately. 
and they've now re rewritten it to refer to any dangerous tackle. And um, you sort of wonder how that they didn't cover all bases in the first place. But I think most of us would applaud the quick action on that one. Do you? No, I don't applaud the end result at all. And I don't applaud that uh, Michael Christian used almost the uh, standpoint of the defence's approach to interpreting that tackle to get him off with a fine. Now, but hang on, wait, wait, wait. When, when I say, when you say you don't, are you saying you don't approve of them redrafting the rules so that it covers all potential dangerous tackles? I don't agree with how it's been redrafted because uh, basically it still relies heavily on impact. That is a, a tenant of these rules and it's simply culpable. They're, they're culpable here, the AFL, and it's ridiculous. Now, I, I hate, you know, running to the hills with my hands in the air like Reverend Lovejoy's wife and say, think about the children. But monkey see, monkey do. And there is certainly some follow-through from the AFL to other levels of football. And why does a person... And in the case of a, a tackle, as we saw with Sean Burgoyne, why does Patrick Dangerfield have to get seriously injured for Sean Burgoyne's actions to be treated seriously enough to warrant a suspension in terms of the impact? I, I really take the stance. It, it's based too much on, on our legal system or on a legal system that uh, affords some allowances for somebody who points a gun directly at somebody, fires it, and the guy's got a cigarillo case in his pocket and doesn't die. Yeah, but hang on. I know why you brought up the cigarillo case too. We'll get to that later. But um, we're I'm, talking about... I'm not sure why I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll tell you why you did. Um, we're talking about two different things. You're talking about uh, intent versus consequences. Correct. And I agree with you on that yeah. one. Yeah, I agree with you. No, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm is, just saying when you redraft a law... A rule, yeah. Redraft it properly. Yeah, but if if they're going to redraft, they're, again, two different things. That's a specific rule. You're talking about a fundamental philosophy applying to Correct. all charges now. Correct. Where the consequences weigh far more heavily than the intent. That yep. is a different. It's a different topic argument. For debate. It is. Yeah. But but in if if well, I was trying to make a point. Yes, I think the rule's been redrafted more comprehensively now, so there's not yeah. a loophole. That, that's all I'm saying. But I'm like an advocate for uh, what I regard as common sense in football, which is intent needs to be treated almost as seriously as outcome. And, yeah, no, I agree, I agree entirely, and, and that balance has shifted dramatically over the modern era, yeah, I think. And as an, advo as an advocate for that, I'm the sort of person, you know, when they're talking about one topic, you know how strong political activists always shoehorn their um, particular cause celebre into every discussion? I'm doing that. Yep. That's what I've just done. Okay. All right. Um, just quickly, too, I'll just – this is a question without notice, but I wrote a column – this week for ESPN Australia. Um, you'll be surprised to hear this, Fanny. It doesn't happen often, but I've changed my mind on something. I've changed my mind on the length of quarters because I, I what? in the in yeah in the wake of the Burgoyne, in the wake of the Burgoyne redrafting of that rule, I thought, well, 
you know, like if you're going to do that, and I think that is a good result. I mean, we've had two rounds with the shorter quarters. Everyone's played under the same conditions. Uh, whilst the coronavirus doesn't mean we have to shoehorn a lot more games into a shorter period, why can't we go back to normal length quarters? And also, it was some data from Champion Data about teams that do well in red time, uh, teams that get slow starts. I mean, those sorts of things could have just as much or probably more impact on the integrity of the competition than changing the length of the games back to normal times so as to closely approximate a normal season for 15 rounds after you've had two rounds of a different length. So, yeah, I've I've changed on that one. I think it's an extraordinary year. There's a lot of extraordinary circumstances. So the more we can get as close to usual as possible, the better. And this is a very, very fundamental tenet of the games we see. We shouldn't be losing, and we're losing about 21 minutes per game on average. The Collingwood-Richmond game only went for 94 minutes. No wonder it was only five, six, or whatever it was each team. So come around on that one. I agree with you. But the AFL made the necessary adjustment after the Richmond-Collingwood game. What was that? In in an appalling smoke and mirror show, the Richmond-Collingwood game wasn't beset by this problem, but every other game was, and that was after a goal. The game doesn't start for sometimes two minutes. The players are just standing there staring at an umpire who's just standing in the middle of the ground like he's waiting to use a payphone. So that's well, how you get... that was catering to it. Well, it was catering to the TV, but I was watching it on TV and it wasn't even catering to that. It was a another very sort of not-so-sneaky way of saying, oh, well, the uh, Brisbane versus Fremantle game, that went for 109 minutes anyhow. So that's pretty close to where it was initially. They were just standing. Both coaches were very, very um, frustrated by it. Actually, there there is a big, um, just looking at the times has made me realise how big a discrepancy there can be in game time. So Collingwood and Richmond lasted 94 minutes, but a couple of the highest scoring games were up around, I think, about 112 minutes. Um, Now, the average, but you've got to look at the bigger picture. Now, the last three seasons, average game lengths have been around 122 minutes. Round one, the overall average game length was 101 minutes, and round two, it went up fractionally to 103 minutes. So, we're still a fair way behind. Anyway, that's an opinion uh, of mine. I've, I've come around. I think we should go back to ordinary quarters. Um, you had a quick news item on the NEFL. No NEFL in 2020, and a suggestion that the NEFL has played its last game. It's Really? Look, it's a, it's a competition that stretches from the ACT to the Northern Territory, so it covers a lot of ground, and... It just seems as though, especially with some seasons, look, we've got the four, the problem is that there are the four AFL teams, of course, to cater for Sydney, GWS, Brisbane, and the Gold Coast. And uh, there have sort of been seasons lately where one of those teams wins 20 out of 20 games. And I don't think it's a very well balanced competition. And apparently, the teams, more standalone teams, out of New South Wales and Queensland and 
ACT in particular, uh, just can't afford and uh, find it an impractical and unenjoyable competition to be in. Uh, yeah, well, the other, the other to that um, on that theme with uh, subsidiary competitions, VFL uh, will get up and running, but pretty late in the piece. In yeah. fact, I'll be honest, I didn't get right across the details of that, but uh, only we're, only we're eight teams about, in August. Yeah. And everyone plays each other once. Yeah, it's crazy. Correct? Yep. Yeah. Well, it's like a... Can you really call that a proper premiership? I mean, it's like a whitening premiership almost, it's, isn't it? It's very unusual that, that it's starting so late, for starters. Uh, most you know, local football is going to be up in mid-July. Junior football starting shortly. Why, If local football can be up in mid-July, why can't the VFL? I... I some of these things do defy logic, and you do have to ask whether or not uh, organising bodies and just uh, certain competitions and certain clubs within competitions, in fact, certain businesses take the uh, taking the opportunity of using COVID as an excuse for their own shortcomings and their own inability to reopen or get things going in a particular timely fashion. Yeah, no, I, I don't understand that one at all. All right. Uh, there is one other thing. Finish. You know, the, the sort of fallout from last Thursday night's game, do you think that there's been a bit of overreaction in terms of, oh, we need new yellow balls? So, you know, all right, Richmond and Collingwood didn't play well. It's, it's as though there was some sort of um, ongoing problem that had suddenly reared its head in football that needed addressing with equipment or real. I, I, I would call it a real you know, chicken little reaction to a, a poor game of footy. Oh, welcome to the modern football media. I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> have, you've got a spare couple of days. I mean, this this has been going on for a while. It's just going to get worse. It's just going to get worse as the saturation of media content continues. Desperate scramble for talking points in an era where there perhaps aren't as many because the flow of information is controlled. Um, it's just content filler and it's knee-jerk reactions. And, yeah, Eddie Maguire, again, saying we need a different surface on the ball or something. I'm telling you, I did bring this up the other week, there is something up between Eddie and his business and News Corp and, and the Herald Sun because, seriously, there has been an Eddie Maguire story or mention or something in that paper every day now for about the last month. It's ridiculous. So, yes, ridiculous overreaction, but uh, get used to it. Could, and can um, I explain yeah, something I, to Eddie? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you realise that when there's a very still day and cold mornings, it's, there's going to be a dewy night? Does he understand that? Furthermore, because there's, no, so. there's no people in the crowd, uh, the you know, 90,000 people, that's a lot of body warmth and you know, people breathing, etc. It's a completely different temperature and environment within the ground. Go for a walk at night on grass in a pair of runners without a crowd and you'll come home with soaking wet shoes. I mean, that's a much heavier dew without a crowd. That's all there is. Okay, uh, quick one to finish off and it's a bit of a media watch this, but a bit of argy-bargy going on in the football media at the moment. Uh, First off, um, Fox Footy have uh, taken David King off SEN's hands. Uh, Kingy was doing a segment on Jared Waitley's 
morning show on SEN. Um, I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. Anyway, uh, reasonable segment, but Fox Footy have now prevented him doing that. Uh, and the other thing I noticed was the story, I think in yesterday's Herald Sun, about crunch time, which, as you and I know, being formerly of SEN, has been a real flagship program of a station and a very, very good program setting the agenda uh, from 11am on Saturdays. Well, that has been brought back to one hour now, all about budget cuts. And the personnel has now completely changed um, in that Fox Footy have set up uh, their own online show. And the panel for that is Anthony Hudson, David King, Dermot Burton and Mark Robinson. Which, crunch time. Surprise, surprise. That's crunch was, time. Ex- Exactly the old crunch time, SEN crunch time team. So, uh, yeah, interesting times in the football media. Can I do a little media watch very quickly, given that uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. opened the door yeah. to it? Okay. Um, well, you often have to do caveats in this game because I really like Robbo. I get on very well with Mark Robinson. I don't know Jared, uh, but I've certainly warmed to him through his greater exposure on radio. I actually quite like his style. They were caught out embarrassingly on AFL 360, which I very rarely watch. They had Mike Sheehan on this week, on Monday. Um, I think he was promoting his upcoming, uh, what's it called with Mike? Something, Mike? Open Mike. Open Mike, that's right. Open Mike. Pardon me, Mike. Yeah, Open Mike. And uh, he was um, about to speak to Dale Morris. So they did a little bit of a promo there. Then Robbo asked, Mike, what he made of the first round of football. Uh, Mike said he didn't particularly like it. He didn't see all the games, but he watched Richmond, Collingwood, etc. Didn't like it. Didn't like the way football was looking, necessarily. And then Mike asked a question of, let's be honest, two of the most um, uh, influential, I reckon the two most influential voices in football that are not ex-players. And they have huge forums in which to operate, don't they, Robbo and Gerard? Um, Mm. You know, we don't need to trot out their credentials. But you'd think they'd know what would happen in a round of football because what Mike said to them was, oh, I didn't like the round of football. And then he looked at the two of them and said, were there any great marks this round? And Robbo sat there and said, "Mm, no. And Gerard said, no, no. And they talked for another minute and they still were happy to say no. And they took an ad break and they came back and maybe they didn't want to back the truck over it, but they certainly, uh, as they wrapped up the show, didn't remember a great mark in the round. And I just reckon when you cover football that much, you need to watch enough football to have seen Motlop's mark, which was, as soon as he asked that question, I said Motlop. And interestingly, I watched eight games in full and that was the one game I didn't watch in full. But that was a. Yeah. If you asked that question, wouldn't most people have said Motlop? Well, I must admit, when you asked it then, it didn't. I saw that Motlop mark, but it didn't come straight off the top. I, I mean, but if you've had a couple of times to think it through, you'd think someone would come up with that answer. I don't know. I just thought. Uh, fair point. I, I just thought. Fair point. You're the custodians of reporting the game, and no, no response to that meant you didn't see it or watch enough football. All right, there is news feed for this week. Uh, round three coming up. Let's preview some games. On Footyology, previews with Punch. All right, some big games round three. The Thursday night, Friday night, four games Saturday, three games Sunday format. 
Well, let's kick off at the MCG Thursday evening, 7.40pm, Richmond taking on Hawthorne. We uh, touched in newsfeed on Dustin Martin's surprise absence. Uh, he's been replaced by a pretty handy replacement, to be honest, a dual premiership player now in Josh Caddy, who comes back after a uh, minor calf injury. Um, for the Hawks, well, uh, O'Meara coming back for them. Um, but, uh, boy, they would have done some soul-searching after a horrendous, in the end, a horrendous loss down the highway. Geelong, 10 goals. He's not often the Hawks get beaten by that much in the modern era. Um, so a bit of thinking for them to do. Of course, we are doing those previews uh, before all the teams have come in. Um, but O'Meara backs, obviously, big one for them. Uh, look, the Hawks, it's funny, Richmond used to give Hawthorne plenty of trouble when Richmond were no good and Hawthorne were sensational. So it's sort of, I don't know, logically you'd sort of surmise that Richmond will make pretty short work of Hawthorne in this one. But, you know, the old Alistair Clarkson factor, you never know. A lot of criticism about Ben McAvoy, him being played in... Uh, as a key defender rather than in the ruck. That may change. Uh, how do you see this one going? Also, Ross is in for Baker, which I don't think relieves Richmond too deficient there. They've got a lot of replacements for small to mids, don't they, and mid-sized players. This game has been certainly uh, brought back from out of kilter into closer to kilter when Hawthorne's uh, thin midfield gets O'Meara and Richmond's stronger midfield loses Martin. They are big ins and outs, aren't they? So yeah. it's like watching a set of scales that you're trying to balance up. Uh, they're not quite ex- as extreme as it was, but I still can't tip it in Hawthorne's favour. And I think Richmond's experience last Thursday night will have them well prepared for conditions and also understanding of the need to uh, make more of early possession or any possession and get on the scoreboard. So Richmond, for mine, having been taught a lesson last Thursday of how to play football. Yeah, it's interesting with the Tigers, just having having a look at some champion data numbers over the last couple of days. Even over the last three years, they have been habitual slow starters. Yeah. Uh, I think last year they ranked only seventh for most points scored in the opening 10 minutes of quarters. However, they ranked third of all the teams for scoring in time on. That, of course, though, is with a longer format. So mm. it's like they've got to compress their performance, I think. I, I think Richmond, just getting back on that thing about game lengths, I think Richmond stands to lose as much as any side um, through the shorter quarters, given the way that they play their footy. Endurance and strength and the ability to, to you know, the sort of killer blow in the in red time is a, a big facet of their game. So that'll be something they will have been paying a bit of attention to. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, um, look, you know, we know how well they play the ground. Uh, Hawks have got a lot of bouncing back to do. I, I think they'll they'll give it plenty. I can see them being in touch for two and a half, three quarters, but I think Richmond prevails in the end. So Tigers for both of us. Uh, let's move on to Friday evening, Marvel Stadium and Western Bulldogs taking on GWS. Sounds a bit funny to say traditional rivals, but um, they are really. They've had some fantastic battles. Uh, of course, the most recent finals clash, last year's elimination final. 
And that was the first of what has now become three defeats in a row. That in the first two games of this year for the Western Bulldogs. GWS, none too impressive last week either in losing at home to North Melbourne. Now, it sounds silly to say crisis time after two games, but if the Bulldogs lose a third on end finding, uh, one of the pre-season, um, I guess, uh, bandwagon teams, um, they're going to be in a fair bit of strife. And uh, Eastern Wood, still unavailable. Lockie Hunter, that suspension still unavailable. Uh, boy, they've got some work to do. What do you reckon? Do you give them a chance? Oh, they've got a chance. Uh, they would have been... Probably the one team you don't want to play this week would be GWS on the back of a loss that was... I would I'd describe that loss as very disappointing to GWS. They're a good team. So not only are the Bulldogs looking to get a foothold in the season... You mean GWS lost to North Melbourne? Yeah, I'm saying that's not a good yeah, loss. Yeah. You're playing them on the rebound. And... yeah. I think they just would have preferred GWS win that game and come cruising into town. But now both teams have got uh, a bit of, um, you know, piss and vinegar in them. For the Bulldogs, though, they might be up backs up against the wall, but they've got some absolute serious structural issues that need, we don't really need attending to, that may not be able to be attended to in the short term. Tim English has had a horror start to the season. And he's either going to come up against Jacobs or Mumford. I wouldn't be surprised if Mumford plays in this game. Oh, dear, Mumford versus English on what we've seen. That, you you know, look, look away now, kids. That could be a slaughter job. Bruce has not worked out for them at all at centre-half forward. And How long do they persist before they... Because Norton needs Josh Bruce taking some heat off him. Mm. Do they go back to Shackey? Keith hasn't really uh, set his mark at centre-half back either. And the loss of Lockie Hunter is not to be underestimated. This is a high-possession winning midfield that needs all those high-possession winners playing. I don't see a good couple of weeks for them, let alone against GWS on the rebound. No, no chance. No, Hunter, uh, Hunter's absence has really underscored the lack of on-field leadership for them. You already sense way too much in the lack of uh, Marcus Bontempelli in that regard, who's a new captain. I think, look, a couple of things. I think they do have plenty of selection options. We could see Toby McLean back. We could see Tom Liberatore back. Uh, yeah, I think the, the point on structural issues is a fair one. And Caleb, always... da- Caleb Daniel in the back line. It sort of worked last year, but with the team under siege a bit, it does not work at all. Yeah, well, you're going to think this is stupid, but I've got a bit of a hunch here. I just think um, we know the Bulldogs, they're miles below their best, but they're also a team which I think can conjure a really good performance when you least expect it. I always liked them at Etihad. I'm not convinced GWS, for whatever reason, and I haven't even looked at their record there, but I've got a feeling GWS's record at uh, Marvel wouldn't be that flash at all. Um, And... They were distinctly unimpressive last week, so obviously they can improve a lot too. But I am going for an upset here, and it's a massive one given the Bulldogs' pretty ordinary form, but I'm going for the Bulldogs to register their first win of the season in this game. Oh, that's a surprise. Yes. All right, let's move on to Saturday and the first of the Saturday menu. Back at Marvel Stadium, 1.45pm. North Melbourne versus Sydney. North Melbourne, um, certainly one of the uh, 
surprise packets of the season thus far, albeit two rounds spread over four months or whatever it is. Um, Sydney, gee, they, they had a pretty decent crack against Essendon last week. Uh, when you consider they're missing an entire forward setup, basically, no Franklin, no Reed, you know, having to make do with Callum Sinclair, sort of Ruckman going forward, trying to kick goals. Uh, Tom Papley was really good for them. Uh, gee, they look a bit thin midfield, though. It's so much comes down to Kennedy and Parker. And Kennedy had a period of dominance in the Essendon game, but uh, reasonably subdued for most of it. And when they weren't firing, Sydney found it very hard to get enough supply. So uh, North Melbourne, their defensive efforts at the moment are fantastic. They're one of the best defensive sides in the year. They've really upped the ante on the levels of pressure they apply to the opposition. Um and they don't need to do much in terms of personnel. Marley Williams able to come back after a, a two-week uh, suspension. So that gives them some options. Uh, Sydney, still no Reed, still no Franklin. And still the obvious question, where are the goals going to come from other than smalls like Papley and Lewis Taylor, who also late kicked six between them last week. But I think at Marvel, uh, they've had some great games here, these two sides too. But I think you've got to go for the ruse in this one, don't you? You do, other than Sydney are a team that have always, you know, always in the last 15 years, just been able to um, somehow summons good football and unexpectedly good football with backs against the wall. And North Melbourne, you make a good point. They've had a great start to the season, but are two wins over this extended period with the break going to give you the same momentum as two weeks, two, two wins two weeks in a row? So had they had those two wins in consecutive weeks, I'd be more confident that the form was set and it was true. I'm still, you know, I think there's still variables to be played out in form. It would be a major upset for Sydney to win, though, because of the points you made with their forward line not being structurally capable of giving the midfield any other option, really, than pinpoint passing. You can't kick the ball up there and get much of a chop out. So for that reason, I'm picking North Melbourne. And by the way, just quietly, hasn't Josh Walker sort of worked in well with Tarrant and the other taller defenders? It seems to have been a bit of a masterstroke. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's got better, uh, you know, with each passing year and each passing club. Yeah. Uh, his, hairline, his hairline hasn't got better, but um, he, yeah, he just sort of slips in without notice. And then after a while, you say, Gee, Josh Walker's going all right, isn't he? So, Solidish. Well done. Now at his third AFL club. So North Melbourne for both of us, the first game on Saturday. All right, let's head across town to the MCG. And this one's Twilight, 4.35 p.m. Saturday. And this... Uh, Arguably match of the round, this one, I reckon, uh, given how both sides have gone thus far. We are talking Collingwood against St Kilda at the G. I'm going to let you kick this one off. What's going to happen in this game? Should be a really good game, shouldn't it? There's every indication that St Kilda's recruiting has been... Everybody knew it was impressive, but it's actually filled needs. And the biggest need was to get a faster team onto the track. And the MCG certainly doesn't um, do any, doesn't uh, diminish that 
increase in speed. It's a better place probably to have leg speed. Brad Hill loves playing at the MCG. I'm assuming that Dan Butler loves playing at the MCG. So St Kilda, especially with Nick Hind and the team, looked quicker, as quick as I've seen them for years. That's that's a good that's a good news. Geary will not be playing for St Kilda. He's got hamstring tightness. That's not good news because I felt St Kilda uh, didn't get away with, but they had a large team under the roof against the Bulldogs. And I hope they don't replace Geary with, say, Dylan Roberton because whilst Elliot and Thomas were quiet against Richmond, they are dangerous smallish forwards. I've got a simple theory with Collingwood. You know, they're a, a very good team, but they rely or they use certain players ex- really fully. And when they're on their own terms, Jack Crisp gets a lot of ball. Steel Sidebottom gets a lot of ball. And this ball's sort of given to them. Uh, St Kilda has to absolutely shut down on the recipients of the hard inside ball that Collingwood invariably get plenty of. I'm going to tip Collingwood mainly because St Kilda on recent years' form, hasn't shown they can do that. Yeah, well, no, I'm with you. Collingwood is good as any side in the league at hanging on, maintaining possession. Um, Doesn't sometimes make for necessarily very attractive footy, but they do it very well. They can control the tempo of games well. I guess um, Mason Cox, a big selection question for them. Do they come back to him after a knee injury? Jaden Stevenson also in line for a return. I think Josh Thomas... Pretty ordinary last week. He might be feeling the heat on that front. Um, I remember St Kilda upsetting the Pies a couple of times at the G in, in recent years. Certainly once. Uh, a couple of years, two years ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago, early yeah. early season game. Collingwood were in poor form then. Yeah, um, yeah, they're obviously in reasonable form now, and on that basis, I'm going for them as well. But uh, yeah, great test for the Saints. At, yeah. at the very least, we'll get a really good gauge, I think, of just how good aside the Saints can be in 2020. But we are both going for the Pies. All right, uh, let's head up to the Gabba now. Saturday evening, of course, the Queensland hub operating with half a dozen teams there. And uh, this one, well, West Coast, uh, shock loss to Gold Coast last week, and it doesn't get any easier for them. They've got a rebound far away from home against the side on home turf. They are up against Brisbane, who last week, uh, only narrowly, but last week managed to beat Fremantle. That game is at 7.40pm. Brisbane, West Coast. Finally, what say you? West Coast were so poor against the Gold Coast that you almost forgive them. Does that sometimes happen when a good team just has plays terribly, you just dismiss it? I I would have taken more notice of the game had they probably got closer. But they're not that bad. They're just simply not that bad. And you have to respect a good team's ability to bounce back because if they don't bounce back, then this season becomes a bit of a battle for them. The hub, of course, is the question in point here. And what West Coast have always had from day one in their quest to bounce back is generally a home ground to fall back on. Their worst losses have been away from home. And that makes it tough for them. Uh, uh, Kennedy and um, Darling, I think they're fine. I'm more worried at the other end of the ground. McGovern's not playing, but he's got to screw loose anyhow. Barras doesn't get a lot of the ball. 
their back line needs to, and, and Hearn seems to be the obvious conduit, the obvious man to get out them out of trouble. I actually think Brisbane have got a, a far more um, uh, flexible and uh, varied team with more options in it. Love Tom Berry's debut last week. Obviously, Charlie Cameron will be closely watched, but that could let Lincoln McCarthy off the hook. Uh, Hipwood's due a good game. He normally hits the scoreboard one in three. Ruck will be the issue. Nat knew he's going to dominate whoever he's up against, and Stephen Martin's injured and may not play, or if he does play, uh, hopefully he moves better than the week before. So Nat knew he could be the uh, sort of fly in the ointment for my selection of Brisbane. Well, I think the interesting thing here is is obviously how West Coast rebound, but I'm wondering if we're underplaying the uh, psychological, physical impact of these teams being so far away from home. Um, now, West Coast have a pretty ordinary record in Queensland anyway, but, uh, gee, you know, being cooped up away from your family for this long, I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we see this become a real factor and all these visiting hub teams really struggle. So, uh, and that's not even an excuse. I mean, you know, they knew this was going to be the deal. Uh, Have they not prepared well enough for it? But um, I think we may look back on this period and go, gee, that was, you know, that was a huge factor in how those club seasons panned out. So I'm watching it sort of keeping an eye to that. Um, also, just another observation, I'm not sure West Coast is a side that comes in uh, or out of form that quickly. I think they, you know, so I think if they're struggling, they tend to struggle for a few weeks. Um, that's my sort of gut feel about it anyway. Brisbane at home, you know, it's always a sizable advantage up there. Uh, people marking down their win over Frio, but I, I thought Frio did really well after a tardy start. And, and I think Frio have been pretty impressive in both games without getting a win. So that Brisbane win is better than it looks superficially. And uh, I think they're going to make it two out of three with another win over West Coast. So Brisbane for both of us there. Rowan, I really, right. like, I really like your observation about West Coast being a, uh, a not a, flu- a fluky team in week out, week in, week out proposition because, again, it's gut feel, but, I think you're right. History shows that they've had good seasons and seasons where they're sort of stuck in the mud a bit. So this will require a very different West Coast to turn things around. And with a shortened season, they have to. So good observation. I, I do agree with it. Oh, thank you. All right. Uh, Brisbane for both of us. Uh, let's, uh, I'm not going to that Steppenwolf line. Uh, down Prince's Highway to GMHBA Stadium, 7.40pm, Saturday evening. Geelong taking on Carlton. Well, Cats couldn't really have been any more impressive against Hawthorne last Friday night. That was a terrific win by them. All the elements ticking over nicely. Uh, What is already the most pronounced home ground advantage in the league and probably at a bigger premium now given there's no crowds. So that uh, downplays the other home ground factors. And the Blues, well, if you only watch the second half of that game against Melbourne, you'd think uh, really great effort. I mean, they've come back from seven goals down, but their tardy starts are becoming a huge issue. In fact, some really good numbers uh, provided by Champion during the week. I think uh, something like eight of David Teague's games as coach since midway through last year, they have found themselves at least 30 points down in a game. They've managed to come back and win I think three of them, 
Um, but, uh, yeah, their poor starts are a major issue. And with short game times, obviously, even more of an issue. I can't see this one being anything but a very comfortable Geelong win. Geez, I, I wrote a column for Australian Community Media about the Cats. Oh, it's funny how they just bore us now. They're such a perennial uh, and we sort of routinely now expect them to do well in home and away season, fall over in the finals. But, gee, I didn't, I didn't miss out by a lot last year. I think they've got better still in terms of manpower. Jack Stephen into this lineup. We may see him debut this week. You've got Josh Jenkins. In fact, I forgot about him as a, a backup big man. He might end up playing a key part. Their forward pressure is great. I think the important signs for them last week were Brandon Parfit going through that midfield really adds a lot to them. Quinton Narkel, you mentioned, I thought he had some good touches too. They've got so many options midfield and with small forwards and so many of their midfielders are able to play as small forwards and kick goals. They are a seriously good side that is going to give the flag a real shake. Um, and look, the Blues, you know, I wouldn't be panicking yet, but they really have to fix up those starts. I think Geelong pretty easily. Jack Stephen's not playing this week. He's going to be part of a practice match between Geelong and Carlton. So that's been confirmed. Maybe Jordan Clark will come back. He was a sort of surprise omission last week. So don't forget that they've got Jordan Clark to come back into the team. They've got quite a few. Yeah, good call. They've got quite a few uh, strong inclusions that can be made, including Colin Jasny. Carlton, can Carlton sort of um, tap, distill and produce on a more sustained basis that ability that you've described required to come back from these long margins and win three and almost beat Melbourne. There must have been something they did right to turn that game around. And there was things that they did right. Uh, the other McGovern that I find very uh, baffling to watch, Mitch McGovern, actually was so terrible in the first half you could not hold Carlton supporters back from the vitriol. Played a very good oh, second. Oh, hang on. Yep. Like, no, sorry, sorry. Well, speaking about vitriol, he copped a sizable old spray um, from, uh, it was Mark Rusciuto talking about being overpaid and undelivering. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm, I drove that bus past Mark Rusciuto's stop a year ago and nobody was getting on. He's, there's something very unusual about Mitch McGovern's approach to football, but... They need him playing well because when he did start presenting in the second half, they looked a very different team. So whether or not they can get him to be vital from the first bounce, which when he is, he normally limps off injured in the third or fourth quarter. I think I think he wants shorter games, not longer games. He wants eight-minute quarters. The Mark Pitney worked himself into the game. I don't think Carlton can win this game. But what you'd like to see is... And this is these are the um, KPIs, I guess, that the club does themselves. Whatever improved numbers-wise in the second half against Melbourne to be their minimum standard from the first bounce against Geelong. That's what you're hoping for, isn't it? Yep, yep, absolutely. But we don't give the Blues a chance. No, I don't even know if that will happen. And even if it did, they won't win. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Geelong pretty easily for both of us. All right, uh, let's move on to Sunday. Back to Metricon Stadium, getting a fair workout, of course, with this hub arrangement. And, well, what an unusual scenario this one. Gold Coast going into a game as favourite after that fantastic win against West Coast last week. They take on Adelaide, who, uh, fair to say, the hapless 
Adelaide after getting absolutely destroyed in that showdown. They were smashed by Port Adelaide um, after about the first 10 minutes of play. Gold Coast, arguably the best win in, in its history. Well, that might be a big call, but it certainly ranks in the top few. Uh, so much buzz this week about Matt Rowell, who in his second game um, uh, probably got the three Brownlow votes. Uh, touches of the Chris Judd about him, I think, in just in terms of his strength and size. Uh, described as a man-child, he's certainly got the physique to play senior footy. He's clearly going to be a massive contributor for them, but uh, plenty of pluses for them. Um, and uh, David Swallow coming back too after serving a one-week suspension. Of course, co-captain, the Crows, they're going to have to make some changes. So they was, had too many players seriously down last week. I can't see him getting back on the horse uh, this far away from home with confidence that low, finding. I think Gold Coast are going to make it two in a row and continue that trend of um, winning more games than they lose over the first month of the season. Um, I know Gold Coast has started favourite in games previously, but I'd be tempted to say they might start the shortest price favourite they ever have in their history in this game, because they should, because they're going to win. Uh, Raoul has rightly taken some headlines, but he shouldn't take all the headlines. Noah Anderson was very impressive in his second game. And Gold Coast and Stuart Dew would be very much looking to the development of their other first and second year players or from last season, so now second and third year players, as their way forward. And he would have been delighted. I think Jack Lacocious has got scope and definitely... Hey, Jack Lacocious? <laughs> he's precocious. And he knows just what his... I don't know how it goes. That no, he knows thing. just how to make a pro blush. Yeah, that's All right. All boys. Think he's the spy. He's got Jack Lacouche's eyes. All right, go on. Yeah, well, he's got also. He doesn't just have good eyes. He's starting to get a good body on him as well. Bose, good player. Uh, is it Will Powell? Say it again. Powell, not Raoul. Powell. Will yeah. Powell. Yeah. Yeah. Good player. Play, yeah. Played his role. They're more experienced players. Fiorini. Uh, Sexton, actually, he's down a bit. But Fiorini worked his way well into the game. A very good start by um, uh, Weller, I thought. So they've got a lot of players that had the future invested in them through not one season, but three, four, five, starting to pay dividends. And they'll beat Adelaide. I, I'm not sure what, who Adelaide have on the sidelines to come in but I suggest they pack their bags because they'll be playing. If there's any, if Matthew Nix wants to make a statement, he's probably got to look to Stuart Dew to start making it and really send a few smug footballers to Coventry over the next few weeks. All right, so Gold Coast for both of us. Moving on to the MCG Sunday afternoon, 3.35. Those... uh, Second of the three Sunday games, the times have changed there. So we can get three games in a row all back-to-back to back. Essendon playing Melbourne. And uh, two out of two for the Bombers thus far. Two narrow six-point wins. Um, It's a bit hard to know how good a win that was over Sydney last week. Certainly at a a venue that's always caused them trouble. And uh, the Swans were pretty good given the absentee. So that perhaps downgrades it a bit. Melbourne, 
Well, that first half against the Blues couldn't have been a lot better. Seven goals to nothing, but then absolutely stopped as if shot. And in the end, lucky to get over the line. Some good potential wins for the Bombers this week. Fantasia uh, looks like he will probably be available. And Connor McKenna likely to come back as well. So a couple of Bombers uh, likely to be... Oh, no, actually, maybe they won't be stiff to be dropped. I think a lot of people will be very interested to see whether David Zarakis hangs on to a spot in the side because he was uh, invisible last week. Um, Gwel- Guelphie? Yeah, well, the other one I was going to say was, and it's a bit of a perennial with me, but Andrew Phillips, I, I just Tom Bell Chambers, he is struggling. And he was really ordinary last week, I reckon. And uh, just be interesting to see if Phillips... Against Max Gorn, you know, or maybe they'll stick with Bell Chambers for the strength as much as anything. But I tell you what, if Bell Chambers plays as badly as he did against Sydney, Gorn will absolutely destroy him. So they'd be pretty concerned about the ruck. Um, look, I, I think Essendon have done enough to warrant getting the selection for this game, but certainly cautious on Melbourne and their ability to... Uh, they play good burst footy, the Demons. They're able to really score on the counter-attack conjure goals in quick succession. A um, couple of likely changes. Pickett, you know, speaking about giving a bit of spark and a bit of speed, uh, he's probably likely to come in. Uh, Sam Wiedemann, chance to come back for them as well. Uh, home ground for both sides, this, so that no advantage there. I'm going for the Bombers, but only narrowly. What do you reckon? Hardest game in the round to tip for mine, but I look at both teams, certainly Essendon with their encouraging start to the season seem to be playing in good spirits but they do have deficiencies in that lineup no question McKernan's goals were invaluable weren't they he was not really cited till he started kicking them but then he just uh, got out the back and, and that long goal off a bad clearing kick from the Sydney Swans and made all the difference he he's going to have to hit the scoreboard again and likewise at the other end I, I said it you know Melbourne came into this season without a doing any work in the trade period to try and address the problem of having a forward line that's deficient of any good tall players. Because, well, look, I don't care what anybody says, McDonald's not a forward. He might have had a little purple patch two years ago, but in a, with less support, he's just no good. And unfortunately, the kid they brought in, Luke Jackson, um, you know, he, he was not up to AFL at this stage. Maybe he will be. So I think Wiedemann will come in for his, what, ninth try league football? Up the other end, Jetta's going like a busted ass. So they're not getting the good run out of the back line that they got last season. Uh, or the season before Jetta barely played last season. Both teams have questions. Petrarca's a good news story as for them, as is McGrath for Essendon. I'm, I'm going to pick Essendon because I, I actually believe that they can put a couple of ins that'll make a real difference, whereas Melbourne's ins will just be patching up problems with other problems. All right, so we're both going for the Bombers, uh, and round three finishes off at Metricon Stadium again. Uh, so second game in uh, second game in the one day at Metricon, 6.05pm, Fremantle playing Port Adelaide. I guess... I guess it's a double header, isn't it? There's well, a few well, did, hours separating yeah. the games. Did but... they need the break so one the crowd can leave and then the other crowd can yeah. come in? <laughs> well, it's a fair, it's a fair question. Um, and to our younger listeners, uh, including 
um, footyology's own Ronnie Werner, who does previews with Punch for the website, and you can read his magnificent previews up there now. But you might see a note from the editor in there, which is yours truly, because Ronnie wrote, I can't remember this happening before. Well, my friend, Mr. Werner and younger folk, uh, Anzac Day, 1986, we had a double header at the MCG. You had uh, Melbourne playing Sydney in the afternoon and then, or was it the other way around, North Melbourne playing Geelong. Um, and the games were almost back-to-back. In fact, I looked it up last night. One started at 2.10 and the other one started at 5 p.m. So um, lots of fans sort of waving hello and goodbye as they went through the turnstiles. But it was deemed not to be a success and was never repeated. But there you go for history buffs. Anyway, Fremantle taking on Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide, some would say, uh, probably the form team of the competition. Certainly impressive in demolishing the Crows last week. Fremantle, I'm a rep for them. I reckon, uh, you know, I watched the Essendon game in round one closely and they came home with a hell of a rush. And ditto last week against Brisbane. Got jumped at the start. But um, we're a real chance to win. And we talked about that controversial mark not paid to Matt Taberner at the start of the last quarter. Very costly for them. But I've been really impressed with the Dockers. I like what they're trying to do. Certainly trying to pursue a more positive attacking game style. Uh, And I think the players are responding to that. So um, some interesting selection issues there. Uh, We're talking about Jesse Hogan basically coming back for the Dockers. That'd be a good news story too. Port, um, they might go... Oh, there isn't an enforced change there. Uh, Burton, uh, the man out for them. Uh, Wines will be waiting another week for them. But uh, Jesse Hogan coming back for the Dockers would be a good news story. I won't be surprised at all if Fremantle causes a surprise in this game, particularly given the territory, Gold Coast. But I am going for Port Adelaide. You just have to after a winner's impressive as that last week against the Crows. Does Hogan benefit from the fact that Darcy can't play? Lob goes into uh, the Lob goes into the ruck, maybe. I'm, I'm a bit yeah, p- p- yeah, I'm a bit concerned for them big man wise. Not saying that Hogan's not potentially a decent inclusion, but I think he might need a bit of time. And big Cox at centre half forward doesn't really get my juices flowing. I shouldn't have said that, and I actually didn't mean that whole sentence. I that will <laughs> that is one of the first no, times. Don't don't labour on it. You just draw more attention. Yeah, to I know. It. Well, I'm just drawing it to myself. That's one of the first times I've not practiced sort of innuendo, and it's just you know I'm like the boy who cried wolf. That was a terrible sentence. Uh, it, natu- it naturally seeps from your pores. Yeah, I, even I'm disgusted by that one. I might send a letter to you. There's. Uh, some good news stories for Freo, but again, does it not come down to whether Fife and Walters can set them alight long enough for them to win? We can talk about Brett Bewley having a good season and the fact that I'd like his own to be Bueller, not Bewley. But there's, in the end, two men that can either set them up and win it for them or then get, you know, forced to try and save them from difficult positions. And they are Fife. And Walters, and to me, that's a dangerous way to play footy. Because let's be honest, they're both both of them have been brilliant in both games, and Freo haven't won. So I've got to pick Port. Yeah, I uh, Sam Sturt could come in for the Dockers. He was impressive um, in that first outing. So in Sturt, okay, out you, Glenelg. Do you give uh, the Dockers any chance at all? Of course, because they've been plucky, if not 
um, successful. Does that not worry you that Fife and Walter has been both have been brilliant in those two games and they couldn't win them? Because um, I don't know how else no. they win games. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, well, more of the more of the lesser lights get on board. I mean, it's not an uncommon problem. You notice them more with the lower down ladder sides because they're more, you know, perhaps a little t- a touch more dependent on, on them. But I, I think they're making progress. So I think they'll get their share of scalps over the course of the season. All right, that is round three previewed. Uh, I think it's time we uh, we sort of flick the switch a bit, finally, more to the entertainment genre. And uh, we'll pick a year in time, and let's talk about our favourite music, movies, TV, and old footy memories from that particular year. Vinyl and video. Pressing rewind on our favourite music, movies, and TV. Radio, we are going back in time and uh, talking music, movies, TV, footy. Uh, your call this week, Finey. I know how you like going for the more extreme examples on our time continuum. What year are you choosing? 1920, no, 1987. 87, okay. Uh, year of the stock market crash. Uh, year of the hot grand else? final. Yeah, 33 degrees. Very I sat in the outer for that one too. It was an absolute stinker. Of course, Michael Tuck reduced to wearing no long sleeves. That's how hot it was. Do you want to, right, I've, got a riddle for, I've got a riddle for you. I went to. I go to very few grand finals, unlike you who go to everyone. I don't go to grand yeah. finals. I was at 87. Why was I there? Uh, because St Kilda were playing in the reserves grand final against Carlton. Correct. All right. Spot on. I'm, I'm doing well on I'm doing well on your trivia questions. You are, all right. You are very good. Let's start with music and uh, some mighty albums coming out this year. I'm just going to rattle off a few. Good year for Australian music too, and that's uh, where I'm going for my album of the year. But among others, uh, Boom Crash Opera, a favourite band of mine, released their debut. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we have? What's a few men came out from Hunters and Collectors? Uh, another pretty good album. Uh, that was the follow up to Human Fraudy. Uh, so, oh, some other favourites of mine. I won't mention them. Uh, a big international. Hang on, was D- gonna... Diesel and Dust in '87? Diesel and Dust certainly was in 1987. That was the other Australian one I was going to by in excess is Kick. Kick by in excess. Yes, that was where they jumped the shark for me. Okay, I know that's everyone's favourite, but not mine. Anyway. I am going with, and uh, hard to pick a favourite Hoodoo Guru's album, but I think this one is it, Blow Your Cool. Um, what is on that album, you might ask? Well, the massive hit single was What's My Scene, which, of course, was subsequently reworked into That's My Team for NRL. Brilliant theme. Uh, very good work by the NRL on that one. But this album, it rocks, finally. Now, the Gurus had some great poppy hooks and sing-alongs and what's my scenes probably in that vein, but they could rock hard. And this is a really tough-sounding album, and I think overall the toughest-sounding album they did. Uh, if you haven't ever had a listen to it, uh, check it out. It's great. Uh, out That Door, terrific opener. What's My Scene is next. Uh, Hell for Leather, one of my favourite Huda Gurus tracks. Just goes a million miles an hour. Where Nowhere Is, again, tough, middle of the land, um, is a, another ripper that 
that's a trifecta of tracks which probably make the album. Um, and it finishes with a bang too, On My Street and Party Machine. One of those classic gurus, you know, everyone's had a few looseners at a party, everyone sing along, like our wipeout sort of territory. It is a great album, Blow Your Cool. I think um, the Bengals guested as uh, backup vocalists on um, uh, Good Times, which was a single off it as well. That's certainly one of the popular representations. But great record, great band, Hoodoo Gurus, one of my favourites. Always fantastic live, but uh, at their rocking, rockingest best, that isn't a word, uh, Blow Your Call, Hoodoo Gurus, 1987. All right, Finey, I reckon Hoodoo Guru were exits. Eggsits. You know, what do you mean? They, they were idiots. Why? I, because I don't think they took themselves seriously enough. There was just a, a sort of a, a, a packaging of the hoodoo gurus that didn't do them justice as a brilliant hard rocking Australian, a rocking Australian band. And people needed just to scratch the surface to find out how good they were, but people don't scratch surfaces. It's like split ends were idiotic when they came from New Zealand, but they realised they were idiotic. They got rid of the stupidity and became one of the most respected bands ever to come out of that country via this country to the rest of the world. Hoodoo Guru is not a silly, but I just think they could have made more of where they are in the world of, you know, where they are in the pantheon of Australian rock because they're right up there. Yeah, but that yeah no, I see what you're saying. But that um, that sort of tongue in cheekness is part of their charm too, I think. Okay. Anyway, where where are you going? All right, I, I had not really embraced this band at all in my life till I travelled around the world in 1989, and uh, me and my Aussie mate linked up with some guys from New York, and one of those guys was a fantastic bloke called Jerry Kelly, and he was a he was a Rowan Connolly before I met Rowan Connolly. He loved music. And he knew it back to front, and he liked it pretty hard and pretty rocking. And all we had then were Walkmans. And we travelled as a group, about five of us, six of us, to Morocco, where what music we could get from our Walkmans was pretty important because uh, there wasn't much else, much Western, you know. Basically, if you weren't listening to that, it was all um, sort of Middle Eastern music and, and marijuana. So he got me in to Guns N' Roses via Appetite of for destruction, which is their absolute stake to you know musical fame. They had good albums thereafter, but this one is considered a bit of a classic, you know, serious rock Guns N' Roses album. It's a big album, isn't it? It's got Welcome to the Jungle. It's got, um, which starts off the album just in the right way. And then it's got... Um, Paradise City. Now, they might be the big hits, but to me, the great songs are Mr. Brownstone, which is a, an, you know... An well, if you've got, hang on, you forgot the biggest hit. I mean, they are my two favourites, but the biggest hit is Sweet Child of Mine. Sweet Child of Mine, sorry. So they're the three big... They're the commercial hits, aren't they, out of that album? And I love them all. Don't get me wrong. I think they're all good songs in their way, but they're not my favourite songs, and that makes me a bit Rowan Connolly-esque on this album because I love Mr. Brownstone, which is a song about heroin addiction, and it's sung by a man who tells the truth. And it's got this brilliant line, you know, I used to get up around seven, now I get up around nine. I used to do a little, but a little doesn't do it, and a little got more and more. Isn't that what drug addiction's all about? Uh, my Michelle, a raunchy, powerful song. This is an album that delivers on all scores of, 
Well, they're not a heavy metal band, but a real hard rocking band, aren't they? I'll tell you. I'm sorry, I'm just butting in. I'll tell you one album track I love off that. Yeah. Uh, Rocket Coin. Yeah, yeah. The last three tracks are their least known. I think that's one of the last three. Yeah. A lot of people jettison out before that, but they shouldn't because that's another good track. There's a couple of... Have you got the album listing there? Uh, not right in front of okay. me. You usually ask me that about 10 yeah, seconds no, before we start a, recording. Yeah, that's okay because we've covered... There are a couple of other great songs there as well. But the beauty is that it's got range, this album, from the two things that they did well. And that, of course, is like all heavy heavy rocking bands, they go loud and they go ballad. And they do it both on this album and they do it very well. And also, this is Axel Rose, who's got a brilliant, had a brilliant voice before, uh, you know, he gave in to Temptations. Uh, he's, he's raying, he's powerful, you know, he's squealing, he's screaming, he's yelling, but it's all in tone. So it's a good, it's a really good album. It is. No, I agree. Uh, not one of my favourite bands, but I really do like that album. Hey, and uh, if you mix up the letters in Axl Rose, you know what you get? No. Oh, you're supposed to, because everybody knows. What... All right, so everybody says oral sex, but I say, so relax. I thought you, I thought you were going to say oral sex. No, no, no. Such impure thoughts never cross my mind. Okay. Uh, all right, let's go to let's go to movies. Uh, massive year for movies. Gee, movies were huge in the late eighties. It makes me think because there were so many well-known movies. Uh, I, I speak of the likes of RoboCop, um, Fatal Attraction, Dirty Dancing, The Untouchables, Moonstruck, Broadcast News, Raising Arizona, Good Morning Vietnam. Wall Street, uh, a real cult movie, which I thought about, Withnall and I. I yeah. Oh, you should have gone for that. Go for that. Well, you, you can pursue, you do your own research. You could have gone. <laughs> but I love um, the one I picked. And uh, another one I almost picked too. I love this movie, The Lost Boys uh, with Kiefer Sutherland. And uh, great movie. But I've gone with, uh, I don't know if you've seen this, Fanny, but. I know so many people who had the same thing with me. They got harangued into watching it with a, a partner and thought, oh, my God, why am I watching this? And it's absolutely charming and engrossing and it's funny and warm, uh, really well-written, well-directed. Rob Reiner is the director. I'm talking about The Princess Bride. Have you seen that, Finey? No, I have not seen it, Rowan. Well, you have to. It is a great film. It is a fantasy adventure comedy. Um, and uh, it is basically set as a narrative with a um, grandfather who is played by Peter Falk, of all people, reading a story to his sick grandchild, played by Fred Savage from Wonder Years fame. That is how the story is told, narrated as a uh, sort of bedtime story thing. And it is about a farmhand called Wesley who falls in love with a princess um, and he leaves to uh, get the money and status to be able to marry her. And he is supposedly, and I use the word supposedly, killed by the dread pirate Roberts. And five years elapses and she pines for her love who she obviously thinks is dead and will never return, and she is forced to marry the evil Prince Humperdinck, 
And um, anyway, lo and behold, Wesley is uh, Dread Pirate Roberts himself. He'd been uh, forced. Oh, you've ruined, you've ruined the movie for me. No, I haven't. That's the whole twist, is it? Well, no, uh, Wesley uh, teams up with a wacky band of vagabonds. Um, and the cast is great. Gary Yules plays Wesley and the Dread Pirate Roberts. Robin Wright, great actress, plays Prince Buttercup, Princess Buttercup. Mandy Patinkin plays Iago Montoya, uh, who wants to avenge the death of his father. Uh, who else have we got? Oh, there's Vizzini. Andre the Giant's in this movie, fighting. He plays one of the vagabonds, a giant called Fezzik. There are guest spots by Christopher Guest, Billy Crystal, Peter Cook, and Mel Smith. Finally, you would love this movie. It's a ripper. It is a uh, comedy, fairy tale, adventure, fantasy. It is a fantastic movie. Rob Reiner, brilliant, brilliantly directed. And uh, this has been universally hailed and I think occupies a lofty place in a, some list of uh, culturally important films. It's a terrific film, The Princess... Bride, that is my film. What is yours? By the way, I pass on the Princess Bride. That does that has no, no, that has I'm, not piqued my interest. I'm telling you, it's a great movie. Go on. I think John Hughes, great director of comedies with with heart, with pathos, uh, sort of dominated the eighties with many wonderful movies, and this is close to not quite number one, but close to the best of the lot. It is planes, trains, and automobiles. I'm not a Steve Martin fan, but he hits a home run in this one where he is a fairly wealthy uh, businessman, and it's approaching Thanksgiving, and he's about to fly home when the snow, huge blizzard hits Midwestern USA or wherever they hit, and he's plane is cancelled and all of a sudden American Americans are, are scrambling to get home for Thanksgiving but with the snow they just can't do it and he is thrust into a must into a needs needs made him uh, relationship with John Candy who's a big curtain ring salesman who is sort of traveling around uh, the old-fashioned knock on the door uh, uncouth Again, as with all John Hughes comedies, there's a heart to it and pathos. And at the end, despite hating each other, or particularly Steve Martin hating John Candy, who's just too friendly and cloying, in the end, there's a beautiful finish with a sadness, pathos, and, and warmth. But along the way, I mean, these guys, when they get rolling, are brilliant. And I don't know if you've seen the movie, but there are some such, there are some such memorable scenes. They are forced to hire a car, which is one of those sort of pea green um, convertible or the, the, the wagons or things that you get in America. Horrible car. It's the last one on the lot. And they're, they're driving it together. And John Candy, when he's driving, he's just a, a fool. You know, he's sort of playing, listening to the radio, playing. It's late at night. And. He's smoking a cigarette, which he throws out. Unfortunately, blows back in the car. So the car's on fire, actually. But they're on a freeway, and he's so distracted by his own stupidity, he takes not a turn-off, but it's sort of a U-turn, and he starts driving the wrong way down the freeway, which is pretty dangerous, I would have thought. One of the great lines then happens. 
there's a woman on the other side of the freeway driving parallel with him, screaming at him, you're going the wrong way, you're going the wrong way. And he's just smiling at her, doing that sort of symbol as though you've been drinking. And she keeps yelling at him, you're going the wrong way, because there's a, a truck about to drive into them. And do you know what he says to himself? What an idiot, I'm going the wrong way. She doesn't even know where we're going. That's a good <laughs> But it, look, it's a great movie. It's a bit of a classic. And sometimes combinations work. I don't like Steve Martin, but I love him with John Candy. All right. I'll watch that if you watch The Princess Bride. Let's get on to TV. Sure. Um, now, this is a uh, – this was a, a bit of a pioneer, this show. And I, it probably hasn't aged well. I reckon you probably look back on it and think, ugh. It's so 80s. Well, of course it is. It was made in the 80s. But it was about a group of baby boomers in their early 30s in Philadelphia. Um, and it was a, a drama series revolving around the lives of a, a group of, you know, half a dozen people, all, all in that age bracket. But there was something different about it. It was just, it, it was a bit less soapy and a bit less cliched and the storylines were quite real. It had a, a realness to it. Um, and the characters were really well-rounded. You know, you saw their flaws, you saw their good sides. Um, the show I'm talking about is called 30-something. And it really, yeah, I reckon it was a bit of a pioneer of a sort of genre of uh, US drama series uh, that became a bit of a cliche. But this was very, very gripping. And I remember, you know, I was a bit younger than the age bracket featured in the series or perhaps the age bracket it was appealing to. But it was very hard not to get sucked into these characters. They were very believable. Um, uh, who appeared in it? Well, Ken Olin and Mel Harris played the husband and wife team, Michael Steedman and his wife, Hope. Uh, his business partner, they ran an advertising business together, Elliot Weston. Uh, he was, played, uh, he was uh, married to Nancy, played by Patricia Whitty. Melissa Steedman was Michael's cousin. Uh, Peter Horton, well-known actor, played Gary Shepard, who was sort of like the good guy. Uncanny resemblance to Bjorn Borg, it must be said. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, real-life stories, uh, very, you know, emotional, funny in places, tragic in others. Uh, you laughed, you cried, you lived um, with this group of people. I, I thought it was pretty good for its time and a little bit ahead of its time, 30-something. Ran for four seasons and 83 episodes, so... Pretty fair achievement. And I did read something about they're actually talking about a reboot or a, a prequel or one of those sorts of things. Anyway, uh, I'll say that with interest. It's a long time ago now, but it was pretty good for its era 30-something. Your TV. Shit, you're a weirdo. We were 22 then. That 30-something to me was, I would not not watch one nanosecond of that. Yeah, when you're 22, 30-something, is a, that's another generation. And you're watching this. You're a serious young lad, uh, were you? Well, yeah. I got married a week after my 23rd birthday. I was living the domestic existence. I think part of me wanted to sort of grow up and be older than I was. Mm. I got it the wrong way around. I ended up sort of getting older and wanting to be younger than I was. Anyway, Mm. go on. You're Benjamin Button. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) See, I know. It's a fact. In fact, when... You submitted, you told me your choices before mine. I thought, uh, finally, he's missed one. Because I know you absolutely love this. The Blackadder series goes one, two, three, four. 
First one, weird. Second one, okay. Fourth one, good. Blackadder goes fourth, set in the First World War. But the Jewel in the Crown, that is the most superior comedy, right up there to, with me, to me, for me, with Faulty Towers. So I marked this as maybe the best comedy series of all time. Six episodes of Blackadder the Third, with Hugh yeah, Laurie, absolutely Hugh Laurie playing the absolutely blubberingly stupid Prince Regent. Um, we King George, you know Prince George. It's funny. I can remember we hail Prince George. No, they were saying we hate Prince George. There are five episodes. I'm going to try and see if I can remember. Dish and dishonesty. These are yep. based on sort of titles like um, Bronte sister books, aren't they? Um, yeah. Incan in capability. Yes. Um, dual and duality. Amy, yes. Amy and amiability. Yes. Um, um, oh, nob, nob, nob and nobility. Nob and nobility. Yeah. Um, they, they cover the broad brushstrokes. There's a brilliant episode with Samuel Johnson who wrote the first yep. dictionary. Dictionary. Yeah, uh, and that episode, it, it's it's you know, Rowan and I could talk about that one for hours. It, Samuel it Johnson, Samuel Johnson, played by Robbie Coltrane. It's correct. It, it, you know, with that great line when um, he, he Blackadder may have may or may not have lost the only copy of it, and he said lost the, the and he went on to say. My wife cut off her own head just to get my attention. You know, he was trying to explain how. All right, okay, okay. If you're going to do that, I'm going to do this one. Amy and Amy, Amy ability is my favourite. It's where um, the Prince Regent loses all his money gambling. Yeah, they're uh, fantastic. I've discovered this terrific new game. It's called Cards. And you see, the object is you try and give away your money as quick as you can. Apparently, I'm a natural at it. <laughs> anyway, he's got to he's got to try and marry money to get his fortune back. And uh, they they uh, can't find any eligible princesses, so they try and find a wealth. They find a wealthy industrialist, and his daughter is Amy. And they decide it would be a good idea for the prince regent to serenade her. So Blackadder advises him to write a love letter to her to try and woo the princess. Um, uh, and he says, "Okay, good idea, Blackadder. Take this down then." Tally ho, my fine saucy young trot. Your luck's in. Trip along here with all your cash and some naughty night attire, and you'll be staring at my bedroom ceiling from now until Christmas, you lucky tart. Yours <laughs> with the deepest respect, etc. Signed, George. P.S. Woof, woof. Blackadder <laughs> says, It's very moving, sir. Would you mind if we change just one tidy aspect? Oh, which one? Um, the words? <laughs> it's It's full of... Look, the, the writing's brilliant. I mean, Hugh Laurie, he might have gone on to be House, and uh, I've n- n- never really watched House, but he comes across as sort of a, a, a sort of a curmudgeonly middle-aged American doctor. I much prefer him in, in his comedic work because he is so good in this, always well-supported by Tony Robinson's Baldrick, a great episode where the Prince Regent is facing imminent, um, imminent uh, overthrow and they need to readdress an imbalance in Parliament. And to do so, Baldrick is put up in a rotten borough. That is a seat that uh, is simply rigged and he'll win and get into the House of Lords. It's a brilliant episode because Baldrick's a complete idiot and stuffs it up. But the actual election's fantastic because the interviewer they use is actually a political roundsman from England. I'm not quite sure what his name was. Uh, earlier, 
we found out that Baldrick didn't have a middle name, but he thought it might be sod off because that's what all the other kids used to call him or say to him. And at one point, the interviewer goes to him, um, just one other question. Uh, S. Baldrick, what does S stand for? Sod off. And he goes, quite right, too. Really none of my business. Uh, it's just great episode after great episode. There's um, uh, Fry, big, um, what's his name? What's Fry's first Stephen name? Fry. Pardon? Stephen, Stephen Fry Stephen. plays, who does he play? Lord Wellington or something in the final episode? Duke of Wellington. Duke of Wellington. That's a ripper. Yeah, he, yep. he's, he appears as does um, uh, Lord Flashheart. What's uh, the actor there? Rick Mayle. Rick Mayle. <laughs> yeah. He does a bit of woofing. And look, it is superior comedy of beautiful writing. So that's uh, Elton and Curtis. It's just a, it's lovely, isn't it? They just in four series they they built up to something, and they got it so right here. And it's funny because it's not a particular period of history that I know anything about, or, or stands out as being worthy of of a TV series. But there you go, it's just superb. All right, yeah, here, here was certainly one of my favourites. All right, we've gone massively over time as per usual. Um, so quick footy memories. Now, I've gone with, uh, it's got to be the obvious one for 1987, the greatest finish to a home and away season ever. Uh, four games all played simultaneously, all with big ramifications for the makeup of the final five. Footscray playing Melbourne out at the Western Oval, Geelong playing Hawthorne down at Geelong, Carlton playing North Melbourne out at Waverley, Fitzroy playing Sydney at Victoria Park. Melbourne uh, needed to beat Footscray in order to make their first final series to 23 years, but also have Geelong lose to Hawthorne. Well, Melbourne successfully defeated Footscray, but at the same time, it looked like they were going to be thwarted because the Cats had... Uh, snuck a narrow lead over Hawthorne before Jason Dunstall bobbed up with two goals, I think both after the 30-minute mark, and the Hawks snatched victory as Melbourne charged to a win at the Western Oval, thus getting them into the finals. Now, at the stage, Hawthorne beat Geelong. It looked like they were going to get tops, the all-important top spot in the week off um, on the ladder, but they were thwarted by Carlton who were playing North Melbourne out at Waverley. Stephen Kernahan kicking a goal after the final siren to ensure that the Blues finished on top, got the week's rest, and you alluded before to that hot grand final, that week's rest proved absolutely critical, probably a major factor in Carlton landing that premiership. An incredible finish, couldn't have been scripted better, and that's what made it so great. It wasn't scripted. The end of a 22-round home and away season, and it comes down to that incredible drama. Funnily enough, uh, for whatever reason, I wasn't covering the footy that day. I listened to it at home crossing uh, on the ABC, crossing to three, four different games to find out what was going on. Just a remarkable, remarkable round of footy, which will never be topped for drama, I don't think. All right, yours, quickly. What, what a life you led, listening to the radio, watching 30-something. If only I knew you then. Wouldn't have been much of a friendship. The, for me, there's an equal obvious choice for 87. Tony Lockett had arrived down at Moorabbin in 1983, a young Robin lad from North Ballarat. He showed potential, but the fact that he played for a very ordinary team and had some injuries along the way sort of um, stymied his uh, 
ability to get huge bags, but all of that was put to rights in 1987 where the kid from the bush, probably as healthy as he would ever be in football, lean, mean and utterly brilliant, playing in a team of absolute no-hopers, mainly Carlton rejects and rehashers. 87 is a horrible team that won nine games on the back of Tony Lockett, who kicked 117 goals in round, I think, uh, eight, 19, 19 against Footscray at Moorabbin. A huge crowd was on hand to see one of those Carlton rejects, Alex Marcoux, sliced through the pack on the half-forward flank and perfectly deliver a ball onto the soon-to-be ample chest of Tony Lockett, who put it through the high little diddle for one of his eight goals. Not only did he top the ton, but he did what full forwards simply do not do, and he went on to win the Brownlow medal. Of course, he shared that with uh, Johnny Platten, and who'll ever forget that young, fresh, fresh-faced Lockett. Everybody now is too cool for school when they're about to win a Brownlow and just sit there as though, oh, me, I, I never would have imagined it. Not Tony. He sat there with both his fingers crossed, almost praying to the football gods to give me the Brownlow medal. Great season, great footballer, and as always, I finish with a trivia question for you, Rowan. Are you there? Yeah. Oh, good. Trivia question would be Tony Lockett. His top bag that year was 12 goals. Who was it against and why was it unusual? Uh, uh, yeah, it was against Melbourne. Correct. It was 12 out of 14. Correct. And they lost the game. And they lost the game. Correct. Rowan, you should go on Mastermind. You should. Your special... Your special topic is anything fine he knows about football. <laughs> no, it's crap. Crap that doesn't matter. Brilliant. No yeah. They got thrashed that day. So he got absolutely yeah. pantsed. 12 yeah. out of 14. No, I, don't, I, I don't know why I remember that, but I do. It was, it was, um, it was a sign of things to come. Round four. Yes. Round four. No, good call. Good call. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. Um, Thanks again, everyone. Uh, thank our wonderful sponsors, Finey. Uh, you wrap it up. That's what I'd be saying, just as they got that burger and my chips ready at Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. I actually love that moment, the moment where you get handed that burger and the first bite. Do you love it? I love every bite, but I love it getting out of that brown paper bag. The Andrews Burger. It's a BOT. And so is West Point Properties located in a similar area, southeastern inner suburban. Land is valuable, but only as valuable as the good property you put on it. Rebuild it or build it from scratch with West Point Properties. And that, of course, is Nick Spartels. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors. Thank you to you, our wonderful audience. Please jump on our Patreon Footyology page and uh, shout us a few bucks. And we're, we are trying to make this operation a little bit bigger and uh, there is a bit of momentum building. So please continue to support us. We will do everything in our powers to give you the sort of quality content you're after and also the new ACAST supporter feature wherever you listen to this podcast. That's it for this week. We'll be back uh, on Sunday evening after round three to give you a thorough review of the round. Hope your Hang team on. wins. Don't, don't forget Twitter. Oh, don't forget Twitter. Oh, sorry, yes. There's so much going on at Footyology. Our Footyology final siren. Tonight. Thursday evening. That's tonight. tonight. 
um, following the Richmond Hawthorne game and Friday night following the Western Bulldogs GWS game. Live on my Twitter stream, Rowan underscore Connolly for Footyology Final Siren. That's it for this one. We'll see you later.